2: Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CAGreatAmerica.com.
1: Hey guys, before we get into this show, uh, I wanted to let the listeners know that this audio is a little bit sketchy at times. Uh, this is not the product that we like to put out on the trade cast, but, um, sometimes we get through an audio recording and, uh, the content was amazing, but the quality was not. So this is one of those instances where I'm not particularly proud of the quality of the actual audio on it, but the audio or the quality of the content in the podcast, um, is too good to pass up. So, uh, with that being said, kind of uh, make your own decision. Is this something you're going to listen to? Uh, like I said, the content is fantastic. Uh, you'll enjoy Jacob Brook Road and Ryan McDowell. So um, enjoy the show if you want to. And if you want to bail out now, I totally get it. So enjoy the show.
2: Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CagreatAmerica.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the tonight's Tradecast podcast here on RotoViz viz Radio. Uh, I say this every time that I open up the show, but as always, I am not Eric Bertslaff. Bertslaff, Uh He uh, had some issues with his uh, kid earlier today, so had to step away from the show for a little bit. Um, Dan is meeting with Roger Goodell as I speak, so um, uh, th- that's happening. So that- That's a fun little tidbit for the Tradecast crew, and tonight's... I am joined by fellow Rotoviz contributor uh, and uh, Jacob. I'm not sure Are you still on the Rotoviz flagship. Are you on and off of that one?
3: Uh, yeah, I took a hiatus from the uh, Rotoviz uh, radio podcast uh, with Pat Crane and uh, Sean Siegel filled in for me. So don't think I'm going to get that spot back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, you might have you might have gotten Wally Pipp there for sure. <laughs>
3: yeah, and I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs>
1: Yep. So I am joined by Jacob Brickroad, one of the great guys over at Rotoviz, and I'm also joined by frequent um, contributor to the Dice Trade Cast uh, and writer for Roto World, DLF. Pretty much anywhere that there's fantasy content, Ryan McDowell is doing it. And we're joined by Ryan McDowell. How are you going doing tonight this evening?
4: I'm doing well. I think I've actually been on the Trade Cast maybe more than Eric. I think that's right. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: We'll have to crunch the numbers on that one, but you haven't edited any of the podcasts and Eric has. So at least he has that going for him.
4: That's true. And I, and I won't.
1: (laughs) That is true. I want to leave that to your wife. If that ever came down to it. (laughs) Um, all right. Uh, as we get rolling into the show, I want to let you know that list, uh, listeners to the nice trade cast, uh, can get a 30% discount to the Rhodoviz NFL Game Pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoViz.com slash podcast. Your description gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and also supports the pod. And you get contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter at Rotoviz So I brought uh, these two gentlemen on tonight to talk a little bit of dynasty startup strategy. Obviously, this is the beginning of the offseason. The Patriots pretty much already won the Super Bowl. So let's let's talk about some dynasty startups, the things that happen, you know, February, March, April. It's startup season. And I, we're not necessarily going to be talking about the best, like, values of startups right now. That's can, can be a conversation for another day. We're going to talk about more general dynasty philosophy, startup philosophy, and uh, how we go about doing things. So we will kick things off with just early round strategy. Uh, Jacob... You, you know, you have – let's just say you have a startup coming up. What, do, what are you thinking about in the early rounds?
3: Well, I've, I've been playing this uh, game for almost 20 years now, and uh, it's maybe kind of a historian of the game, if you will. And um, from my research, and I've written a couple articles um, that actually got published in World. I got one called Dynasty Hit Rates that if you Google that, it'll – and Rotoworld World Cup, And then another one called Chasing the Top 24 Wide Receivers – and I just throw those out there because I'm going to reference them a few times. And uh, for my research, you know, one, almost 20 years now, it's a lot of the same players end up in those top scoring spots year after year. A lot of the same offenses, a lot, a lot of the same quarterbacks are tied to those players. And so when I'm doing a startup, I, I want to take as many of those players early in a, a startup draft. And um, I, I go zero rookie. And I, I know that's. It could be canary circles. You use so running back, doesn't to draft running backs? So I'll still draft, for, I just won't take any early, and that means that I'm probably going to miss on there's uh Amari Cooper or uh this year's Mike Evans, but I'm also going to not get uh hammered by this year's Kevin White or, or Cordell Patterson or Monte Ball, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So That's kind of strategy going in is I want to get as many of those proven players as I can, age, you know, as long as they're in their mid to late 20s. And uh, sometimes I like trading back and getting as many picks as I can in those, you know, second to fourth, fifth rounds, if possible. you think about that, I know that's kind of a contrarian strategy to not be taking a rookie, you know, I mean, look at all the rookies that paid off this year with hitting, Uh, Kareem Hunt, you know, Christian McCaffrey, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I think that um, from this podcast, you'll generally see that Ryan and I slant more towards the youth than you do. And you slant more towards the veterans. Um, Just to hit on my early round strategy, I like what I'm guessing Ryan will say. I hit on the the young wide receivers early and often. And I think that, you know, just generally coming into 2018, this is actually one of the worst years possible for, you know, looking at that first round of the wide receivers. You know, there's not too many of them that are still looking, you know, at the beginning of their prime or entering their prime Mm -hmm. soon. Guys like Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, they're they're in there, but so are the A.J. Greens and the Julios who are kind of exiting their primes right now. The guys that you'd be looking at more in that late first, early second, I'm guessing, Jacob, so – uh, Ryan, um, what is your early round strategy for dynasty?
4: Yeah, I definitely agree with Jacob as far as what he said about trading down. Um, I'm, I'm happy to trade down really at all points of the draft. If I can acquire some extra picks in um, in those sweet spots, whatever I might have identified as a sweet spot based on, uh, ADP and things like that. Or if I can just acquire future first rounders, um, But other than that, I pretty much disagree with Jacob on everything. Uh, He knows that, though. I I like to build my teams, Nathan, like you do, around wide receivers and around youth in general. Um, I do feel like I'm I'm kind of uh, adjusting a little bit, not only to the running back kind of changes that we've seen this year, but being open to – relying more on veteran players, even if they might only have a few years left in their career. But especially in those early rounds, I'm still taking younger players uh, and and probably not going to take a player who uh, may only have a couple years left.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote an article for DLF a few years ago about winning in year one, where I'll hammer the youth early, you know, rounds one to ten, where the, the premium assets are being spent. And year in and year out, there are the Frank Gores of the world, the Andre Johnsons a few years ago, guys being picked in like 11th, to like 16th round range, where I think that you can legitimately build like, you know, some wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes out of just guys that are being, you know, passed. Larry Fitzgerald's been passed off as old for three or four years now, and he's being selected probably in that ninth, tenth round range of startups at some point. So I, I think that there's ways to spend the premium assets on the youth while, you know, building with the age elsewhere. But I do think there is a benefit to if you want to just stack your team with the veterans and get like AJ Green and Julio Jones, that's certainly not a bad way to start a startup. All right, let's move on to, uh, you talked a little bit about trading down. This kind of fits in with that a bit. Um, And this is maybe more of an auction question, which I know you do a lot of, Ryan. And that's depth versus studs and duds. I I feel obviously a lot of this can be impacted by uh, how many roster requirements, how many starters you have and how many roster spots there are in the league. But do you have any opposition to, to going like a team full of depth or, or, or vice versa with a, a studs and duds approach?
4: No. And you mentioned kind of my move to auction leagues, and that really is what has kind of changed uh, my mindset on, on veteran players in general. You know, I, I wrote the productive struggle a few years ago and, and that's exactly the strategy that, that I used when I was doing startup drafts two, three, four, five years ago, uh, basically punting year one, getting as many young players and uh, future draft picks as I could. And, and that worked. I, I, I built some good teams out of that, even though they, they did struggle that first year, but in an auction, and even in, in some cases in startup drafts, there's really no reason to do that. The veterans are so cheap, uh, you mentioned guys like Fitzgerald, but I mean, there's there's almost an endless supply of these veterans that you can you can grab, and uh, there's there's almost no reason to punt, even though that's that, that kind of became my trademark for a while.
3: Yeah, and if if I, I may, Ryan, I think your brand's on point because I, I've been in a lot of these startup drafts where half the league is punting year one, and it makes it pretty easy to kind of capitalize. Or strategy. Have you seen this before Leagues where you get half of the league that are, are all vying on the, the same oh. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it does seem like
4: it, it's become more and more popular. I know Scott Fish has talked about this um, as well, that, that um, productive struggle or punning year one is, is something he used to employ as well. And because so many people have um, have decided to try that strategy and it's becomes, I guess, so popular to load up on those young players thinking they are all going to hit, which, which we know in reality won't be the case. Um, It it does make it easy if you're, if you're willing to, um, I don't even want to say give up on the, on the long-term future because you still have future rookie picks. You have chances to add youth to your team, but if you're willing to, fill your team with those veterans that other people are casting off, then you can, uh, you can win that first year and and pay your dues for two or three years.
1: Yeah. One of the things that as I try and defend the the youth approach, the productive struggle, all all those things I have often heard people say winning in year one is the easiest year, uh, year to win because all these people punt in the startup draft. And I think that that's a bit of a flawed concept because I think no matter what year it is, whether it's year one, two, three, or four, there's basically a section of teams that aren't going to be competing, whether it's because they punted year one or they're in extreme rebuilds because the, they took over an orphan or they just had bad, a couple of bad years of drafting. And so I, I think that roughly there's three to four teams every year, whether it's year one of teams punting or in the future, that those three to four teams don't have a shot. Maybe that there's a one or two more that like, are maybe strategizing towards the future more so than the present. But I think that that number of three to four and a 12 team league, maybe five to six and a 16 teamer. I think that's the number that it hovers around, whether, whether it's uh, year one or in the future, what are your thoughts on that, Jacob?
3: Um, I, I mean, I always play to win. It's always my strategy. Like this, I, I just cannot fathom, you know, tanking and and try losing to make your team better just maybe it's just the competitive side of me but i I hear what you're saying i've had a couple teams that that just crushed the first couple years dragon and so i'm trying to find ways to build that or you know build up these teams that were once juggernauts um teams heavy wide receiver also and trying to just pick dominant player. So I I would go with a Gronk or a Graham early and a Drew Brees. I was often picking in like the fourth, fifth round where I could just so I could have, you know, guys at those dominant positions. And it worked really well. I mean, I had some great teams during the regular season, but then I've kind of reevaluated my strategy lately because most of these leagues, they're head to head and you have two weeks basically for the playoffs and two weeks. And you can have just mediocre teams win the playoffs. And so I had a twelve and one team that finished second, and then that same team went eleven and two and finished second again. So it, we kind of talked about this call. Uh, um, I'm just starting to look at who, who are those players that I could add to my roster that can explode, you know, in a two week playoff. And and it really it's those running backs. I mean, we saw what Todd Gurley just did. Um, over over this year's playoffs and then the year before, David Johnson did that. So, how do you guys feel about that? Where you need to have one or two guys that's capable of just winning you a two week playoff?
4: I think that's. I mean, I think that's a fair point for sure. But um, the the challenge, of course, is identifying who those players are. Um, and and guys that you mentioned, Gurley and and David Johnson. Um,
3: Le'Veon, no, I would put in that bracket.
4: Right. I mean, those are those are lead backs that are going to be – I mean, not only lead backs for their own team, but um, some of the highest-valued players in in Dynasty. So, I mean, it's, it's going to take <laughs> – it would take a lot just to go out and, and acquire those guys. Um, and, and their price is, in, in Gurley's case, higher than it's ever been. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's one of those things that's, that's easier said than done. Uh, but I, I do think you make a good point as far as looking to the playoffs and, and making sure you're prepared for that, uh, part of the season.
1: Yep. Play playoffs are always definitely a big part of it. And I think that, That is definitely something that when people talk about, oh, sneaking in the playoffs, you know, can get you a championship, and that is certainly the case in in some circumstances. So, definitely would be you know a case for okay, you know, you don't necessarily have to go all win now to win a championship year one. You can try and sneak into the playoffs with a bit of more of a mixed team. Um, So, one thing I want to talk about that I know a lot of people wanted to hear us talk about is trading future first during the startup, or trading, uh, or trading for them, or trading them away. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give both sides of the argument here because I think I know who's on which side. But, Jacob, your future first, what are you looking to do? Are you looking to, like, trade up from, like, like the 208 and the startups, like, the 112? Are you looking to just acquire, like, a fifth-round pick? What what are you looking to do if you're trying to trade your first-round startup pick? I mean, first-round rookie pick in, in the following season.
3: I mean, in a perfect world, I get, you know – uh, one of those earlier picks, like a second, third, fourth rounder, but that's not always the case. And I, I think round startup picks have are, you can usually get for a first round. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong there, guys. Um, mm-hmm. But From my experience that, that, and, and that's still decent to get out of a player that you don't know. One, you don't know whether, what spot that the draft spot that's going to be. And uh, two, you don't know if that you're going to hit on that player. So I actually did that in the league that you and I are in, Nathan, where I traded uh, uh, six round for a six round pick. And I traded my first round pick, which ended up being the one twelve. Um, and I traded that pick for Mark Ingram. So, you know, I don't have any regrets about that now, but you know, we'll, we'll see come next year you know, when he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. So yeah, ideally the the more you can get the better, but I think fifth six is, is kind of where it's at. Um, it just depends on the draft class. I I, last year you could have got a lot more because people were pretty hyped up for that class.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a high variance in trading future first in general, but definitely in the startup when it's, you know, a team has only picked three or four players like, well, is this guy going to go all win out and it's going to be the 112? Is this team going to get some injury, get the 102? You know, so it's in trading them, them away. And there's also a risk in trading for them. If you think that one's going to be early, it can end up being not, or, you know, if you think, oh, this might be a late one, and then you can end up being rewarded with a higher one as well. So Ryan, what is your strategy involving future first in a startup?
4: Yeah, I think what you mentioned there, Nathan, trying to kind of project how the other teams are, are going to uh, end up even with just a few players on, on your team. That's, that's where it helps to really know your competition. If I'm playing against Jacob Uh, obviously he's not guaranteed uh, of any success in a season, but I know he's going to go all in. I know he's going to focus on building his team around those veterans. And he has a good chance at the very least of making the playoffs. So when I acquire his future first, I know there's a decent chance it's going to be later in that uh, first round. So that's something to kind of keep in mind, I guess. But my personal strategy is uh, I rarely trade away future first, um, whether it's during the startup or or really at any point in the year, I just feel like those picks gain value um, throughout the year. The closer we get to the draft, the more valuable they're worth. And um, I would I would rather not give up that that value gain. And not even talking about a specific player with that pick, but just the value gain that they're going to have uh, as the rookie draft gets closer. Uh, I'd rather not give that up to, to move up a little bit or to, uh, or or even for like a fifth or sixth round pick like Jacob mentioned.
1: Yeah. And this actually, maybe a a little sidebar to that conversation. I, I found myself a little bit more reckless with my future first and future picks in general and Debbie leagues, because, with the, the rookie, the rookie options or rookie drafts are so diluted that I'm like, Oh, I'll just trade this pick. And yes, if it ends up being late, then especially in like a rookie draft type format, then usually it doesn't end up being higher, you know, picks in a normal, you know, Debbie draft, uh, Debbie league, rookie draft, they can end up being at, um, are you a bit more loose uh, with your rookie first and Debbie leagues or you still hold this tight as well?
4: No, I, I agree with you. Um, in a Debbie league where, where the rookie draft is um, watered down a little bit with the, with the loss of some of those top players from previous years uh, already rostered, then yeah, I'm I'm more willing to trade those rookie picks in that format. And if it's a a rookie auction, like we use in the kitchen sink leagues, then I'm even more willing because I know it's, it's not a set pick, but it's just an amount of money uh, that can be bundled with, with other picks and other money. So definitely more willing. And that's actually, um, I think one of the kitchen sink, sink, leagues is the only league where I have traded my future first currently.
1: Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, so we, we've kind of talked about a, a variety of strategy stuff, but let's get into more positions. Uh, drafting Drew Brees in a draft a few years ago. Um, are you generally targeting those older cor- um are you generally targeting those older quarterbacks thinking that people were uh, dismissing them too early? I mean, people were dismissing Tom Brady like six years ago and you know, look what he's still doing.
3: Yeah, I think right now we're kind of in a weird um period with quarterbacks because you got all these great guys retiring and it, there's not a lot of uh, up-and-comers behind them. And, and you can tell just by looking at the, the wide receivers this year. Uh, I tweeted this out, but two, 2017 only had three. And that's kind of a scary stat because 2015, we had 10-plus pass catchers. So I feel like there's a big hole right now at quarterback. And generally, I'll, I'll, I'll probably punt the position. Uh, because I don't think that there's that many elite guys going right now. I mean, I love Andrew Luck, but his his health status is up in the air. So, you know, outside of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to reach on a quarterback um, just because that the position's kind of in flux. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, we just
4: see so many quarterbacks, kind of like you mentioned, that are at that 35, 36, 37 years or older. And, I mean, we've heard Big Ben talk about retirement. Um, Nathan, you mentioned Tom Brady. It, it, people were trading him away almost 10 years ago because he was, uh, quote, unquote, getting old. And and here he is still still playing like a quarterback one in fantasy and, and leading his team to a Super Bowl. So, uh, But over the next couple of years, we're going to see Brady – and Breeze, and Ben, and Rivers, and Eli. We're going to see all these guys retire, and it's going to have a big effect not only on the quarterback uh, landscape, but like Jacob mentioned, on the wide receivers as well. Yeah,
1: in the one quarterback format we pretty much talked about on this show how – basically every starting quarterback that's like any good is worth it. And so it just kind of ranges from like that's based on how good the quarterback is. And I'm perfectly fine investing, you know, like a late second round pick in one of these older qu- are quarter- write- right writing off and pairing him younger guy, pairing him with a Deshaun Watson. he would obviously be a little more expensive, more in that early second range. But if you get a guy like Watson or a guy like Garoppolo, I know people are going crazy over him, but you know, quarterbacks have this longevity that if he looks like he's going to hit, then you're going to have a quarterback for, even if that's a crazy window to even be talking about. Sounds like easier easier than a guy like Brady or a Breeze with a Garoppolo or a Watson would be the move I'm trying to make if I'm in a one-quarterback startup right now. And Superflex, Superflex, the the value of years involved with a quarterback is so much higher that I do tend to avoid the, the order quarterbacks because they're still being valued as quarterbacks that are highly valued in Superflex, but they... Mm-hmm superflex i'm like okay how many more years is this guy going going to give me and a year of quarterback superflex production is so much more valuable than a year of of one quarterback production so how do you uh differentiate the two i'm not sure do you play in, oh you play in the superflex with with uh empherson and Orange too jake how do you differentiate uh, quarterback values between one and two quarterback and and dynasty
3: a lot of success um and the super flex would, by just taking some more, a bunch of mid tier guys rather than reaching early. Um, that's, that's been my, you know, model that's worked. So I've done that, but um, it, the quarterback's just, it's, it's a weird spot right now. And I know people are, are flipping for Wentz and Deshaun Watson, but I, I was just looking at touchdown percentage rate recently and I had a 7.5 touchdown percentage rate. That's really hard to sustain. And when you compare that to Drew Brees, who never had it over seven, um, I don't know if he's able to, he's going to keep that going. He's going to be a top three quarterback, isn't he, this year? Yeah, Wentz is the one
4: right
1: now, right,
4: Ryan? Yeah, Wentz is, uh, according to our ADP at DLF, Wentz is actually the quarterback one right now.
3: Yeah, I feel like Dynasty has kind of been all over the map with ranking quarterbacks. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Ryan, Ryan Tannehill was a top 10. Dynasty quarterback and, you know, Blake Bortles might have been a year ago, you know, after he threw his 37 touchdowns. So I think I'll just uh, kind of hang back and, you know, maybe get lucky and get a Matt Stafford who's pretty solid, you know, in those mid rounds rather than reaching early on a quarterback.
1: All right. We've talked a little bit quarterback. Now let's go to the other onesie position um, tight end. for years it's been, oh, Gronk or punt, Gronk or wait until the 10th or 12th round. Um, are we continuing to ride the Gronker punt? Are we adding Gronk and Kelsey or punt? Um, what is your 2018, uh, does it reflect your future and past strategies at Titan? We can start with, uh, Ryan.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's Gronk and, and if you're just looking from a value perspective, well, that's that's not fair to say. From both value and production, I think we have to lump Kelsey in there. And Kelsey's been the tight end one for the past two years. We know part of that, at least, has to do with Gronk injuries. Um, but Kelsey's also gaining on him in ADP as well. So uh, I think it's Gronk or Kelsey uh, or or punt if you want to say or, or wait on tight end. And I'm I'm personally going to be one of those that that waits unless
3: one of those guys falls to the late third round range. Yeah. In the past, I've, I've been one to, to reach for a Gronk or Graham because they were just so dominant. But um, again, I think this position is kind of influx too. we got a lot of young guys coming with and Howard and Evan Ingram. Um, but there's going to be some real value with, with like the Greg Olson's and Laney walkers. So I, I just grabbed them, them. out. Okay. <clears throat>
1: Let's move on to um, a little bit more of a, a broad conversation again. Uh, when to buy a young stud? And we'll start with Jacob here. So when do you finally bite the bullet? I know that you're, you, you love your veterans. You love your guys that are, are putting up production in the later years. When do you say, dang it, I just need to go and pay up for OBJ. Or dang it, I just need to go and pay up for you know, whoever the, the next big stud is.
3: Is this in a startup?
1: Uh, well, let's say it's in the off season after your startup.
3: Um, I mean, obviously you want as many of those guys you, as you can. I've always had like an escalating arc with my receivers. And so I've, I've taken advantage of the Larry Fitzgeralds and Jordy Nelsons and Brandon Marshalls, and, and they kind of planned on having guys to, to back them up. So I'll take some flyers on some younger guys and and kind of take advantage of that um, incubation period, if you will, which we just saw with like, and we Nelson Aguilar seems like he's starting to to come out too, um, so I think you constantly got to be harvesting that. But um, I, I mean, I if you're doing a startup, you're taking OBJ, Evans, uh, even Cooper. I, I think Cooper's probably undervalued right now. He just had so a couple, but I think you just need to balance your team with a mix of guys that are all kind of performing at the same time. So it's okay to have a, a Ty Hilton mixed in with a DT you know, some of those younger guys waiting in the wings.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Ryan?
3: I was just, you know, I mean, Jacob, because we
4: do, I guess because we disagree on strategy so much, I I, I love kind of picking your brain and um, seeing how you think on this stuff. And, and I mean, I'm just thinking if, if we're both drafting and we're in the second round and I take Corey Davis and you take Doug Baldwin and they both – in 2018 produced the same kind of numbers. I mean, we both know what's going to happen with the value there, right? Like Doug Baldwin is going to maintain or lose value. And Corey Davis is right. going to be, be a first rounder next year. Right. And yeah, so, I yeah. Mean, how, I, I'm following you. I guess, how much do you factor in um, future value w- when you're building a team?
3: I mean, I, I guess uh, Doug Baldwin wouldn't be enough for me. Um, it would, I, I'd more look at like an A.J. Green. I don't even know if he's a second-round pick right now. Um, yeah, he's a second-rounder. That would be more the caliber that I would want. I'm, I'm planning that he's going to fall off a cliff by probably age 32. And if you look at that article I mentioned earlier, the chasing the top 24, I went through and I I – Catalog the, the ages the, the age thirty elite players and what they did, and a lot of them are still getting it done. And so it's it's really just about until the, till they're done. And maybe we just saw Marshall; he he's he might finally be done. But this age thirty two year was a top five season. So to get that, if I can still get top five, top ten, and I think Julio Jones is still going to produce like that for the next couple of years, because. I, my chances of winning the league, especially early on, are pretty big. And if I do win the league, I'm going to pay my interest for, you know, how many years? Four or five years? Look at it. Um, but you always got a plan for uh, They're going to hit the wall eventually. Uh, but yeah, the one big <clears> – <throat> the, the biggest flaw in the dusty community makes, and we get all of these wide receiver prospects, and the problem is it's Larry Fitzgerald is still there, still taking up that top spot. You know, Golden Tate was a wide receiver 12 this year. So these older receivers are still those top slots, and it leaves those younger guys never get there, you know? So in that article I mentioned earlier, chasing the top 24, I went back to 2000 and 62 receivers had three or more top 24 seasons and they were responsible for 10 of all the top 24 seasons. So I think if you can build a team with a lot of those guys, and you can get, you know, three to five top 24 years out of them, you, you're going to be winning in the long run. The, the key is obviously catching those guys at the right time. Um, but when you got guys like Doug Baldwin and, you know, is Doug Baldwin a second-round pick or is he like a third-round pick?
4: Uh, yeah, he's, pro- he's probably in that third-round range now. But, yeah, he's been a second-round pick this over the past year.
3: I mean, he wouldn't be a kind of guy I would or I would go after. I would, I mean, there, I think there's a some value of some other similar players, probably in the third or fourth round, and maybe I can take a, a digs in the second.
1: Yeah, uh, J- Jacob. I'm um, or I guess Ryan. Uh, Jacob hates the Seahawks, so that's why he's he's has the ball. <laughs> yeah. It's,
3: I mean, we're gonna go from we're gonna go from Bevel to Brian Schottenheimer. I mean, how awful is that? You know. <laughs> Yeah. When I do these, I, when I do these top twenty-four and, and you look at it from a you know a big lens, the guys that are consistently there are the ones that are getting 120 plus targets, you know. And you know how many times a Seahawks receiver has had 120 plus targets? Once. That's it. In the, the Pete Carroll era. That's that's terrible. Now they've been able to overcome that because efficient, but you know, I, I really want I want those those wide receivers on teams where they're going to get peppered and they're with targets and they're going to get more than just seven targets a game. They're getting eight to 10 because those are the guys that are more likely to continue to, to hit those top spots. Yeah.
1: Just as a, so, Ryan mentioned earlier, buying, buying the Corey Davises of the world in the, in the second round of startup can certainly, you know, you can profit a lot uh, 12 months from now, or you can end up bottoming out like a treadwell or, or a player like that. But now I want to talk about the veterans and, um, When to sell an aging veteran? People often talk about, "Oh, is this year we got to sell Julio? Is this year we got to sell AJ Green?" Because there is a bit of a curve of when to sell them, and then in like two years later, when they're the 31-year-old who becomes the Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, when is he going to retire? When is he? When is he going to fall off that cliff? Especially with the concerns of Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson retiring at age 30, 31, whatever he, he was this big like cloud over all of their veteran wide receivers. Who's going to be the next elite wide receiver to be the next Calvin Johnson that retires. So, uh, Ryan, how do you maneuver that window of selling the, the stud wide receiver and then trying to buy them back later?
4: Yeah, it's become so hard and it goes back to that productive struggle. You know, everybody wanting to have, um, I don't know, the prettiest roster or the coolest team or whatever you want to say, but, um, I mean, and, and and it comes down to it, it. Also depends on when you're saying sell these veterans. It depends on, I, I guess, what point of view you're coming from with that. Like, if if you're talking about selling them as elite assets, it might already be too late on Julio, which which is just crazy. Um, I saw a trade today where he was traded even up for the 1.06 rookie pick. Um, which I mean, I hope, I really, really hope that that's an extreme example. I hope that's not a trade we're seeing a lot of, but that's, that is a legit trade that went down, uh, this week. So, and if, if that's even close to representative of of the value he's carrying now, then yeah, it's, it's too late, even though he's still a first round startup pick, um, I think the move I would try to make, and, and honestly, I probably will try to make, is to pivot from a guy like Julio or Green, uh, or even Antonio Brown, to a younger player who is already producing at or close to that level. So for me, that's uh, that's Michael Thomas or Devonte Adams or uh, you know Mike Evans, if depending on uh,
3: which of those players you're you're moving. Yeah, and from my experience. And, um, you know, as a Larry Fitzgerald owner that uh, suffered through a couple tough years, um, and even when he had a down year, you know, it just didn't make sense to me to trade him away for a second. That You know, my research, you know, second-round picks are like 30% hit rate. And most of the time they're not going to hit in year one anyway, so you're going to have to wait a couple years. So it was better. I could have Jordy Nelson on a couple teams. I'm going to hold on to him just for the off chance that that he returns – Rather than trade for a random second that turns into Nick Nichols or you know Zay Jones, Farrell Cooper, you know what I'm saying? So from my experience, like an an elite guy like that, I'm just going to hold on to him until the wheels fall off. Yeah, that can
1: definitely be the safer approach rather than you know trying to buy and sell it at the times. All right, guys, this has been a lot of fun. I um, just want to kind of just give you guys the floor. Is there anything else startup wise that you want to get some takes out on?
4: I'll, yeah, right. I'll, I'll go first. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I was thinking, Nathan, this is probably the the worst episode you could have invited me to, to, to join in on because, and I've, I've mentioned this to Jacob on Twitter recently. For years and years, before I was even doing any kind of fantasy football writing, I'd, I would follow Sigmund Bloom's work. And, and uh, if any of your listeners do that, hopefully they do. You've also, you've seen Sigmund say, just pick the right players, just pick the right players. And, (laughs) and, you know, that's, that's how I reacted for, uh, for years and years is just, just laughed. And honestly, I wasn't even sure if he was serious, but that's kind of the point I'm at. Um, I think if, if you want to – if you really just like to build your team around young players and, and stack up draft picks like I do and, Nathan, like you do, um, that's fine, and that can work if you pick the right players. And if you'd rather uh, take fewer risk and, and uh, build your teams around veterans that uh, you know their track record and, and you expect them to continue that, and that's kind of kind of what Jacob does – that's fine too. Just pick the right players, and and if you do, your that strategy will work. So I'm almost at the point where in, almost any strategy is going to work if you um, get lucky and, and get
3: those right players. Just, just score points, right? It's that easy. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I I make this grid, and it has the top twelve scores, and it you know it's it's over a decade long, and it, it's pinned to my top of my Twitter account if you want to look at it but I think it's really interesting to just kind of look at it like that and how kind of evolved you know and you can see where it became more of a passing league you know all these wide receivers are are in blue and you know they're dominating all those top spots and the last two years have have kind of changed a little bit we've seen that running back of resurgence so you kind of like in the early 2000s you know when I was playing fantasy back then, it was all running back. And if you didn't have those top running backs, you were screwed. Standard scoring, because if you had like a 10th or 11th round pick in, in the first round, you, you were picking like the 10th running back and you weren't going to win. You know, it's a, it's why it was horrible. And that's why I went to PPR because at least in PPR, those wide receivers can still get you those, uh, those top, you know, scores, because the way it's structured, but, you know, look at this grid and, and we got to kind of predict and like what's going to happen with the NFL. And are, are we seeing a departure from Manning? Get, if I could just eulogize Peyton Manning really quick. He he had a, 13 seasons. He had at least one pass catcher with 10 plus touchdowns and through four seasons, he had 10 plus touchdowns. We're, we're missing him right now you know, that's a big piece of what's, what's missing. Cause we, and we lost Aaron Rodgers, So, um, you know, maybe we're in a, in a downshift and you kind of kind of wiggle and, and mix your teams of, of a mix of running backs and wide receivers. And that's kind of how I'm leaning um, is chasing that. Um, I, I think running back receptions have, have arrived. And uh, you see that through the numbers, you know, there was more running back receptions that we've seen in a long time. So getting those, those, workhorse running backs is going to be important to winning leagues, you know, having those David Johnson, you know, girly type players. And, and we have Thomas and Tomlinson coming in the league with Saquon Barkley. Um, I have the one one in one league and I got offered Hula Jones straight up and I passed. And that's something I wouldn't have done. I think um, to have one of those guys um, is big and, and you want one of those top-tier guys that's going to perform for three years. If you look at Le'Veon Bell, he's, he's been in the top six scoring every year he's healthy. So as many as to your point, Ryan, just pick the right guys, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think that a big part of the shift to running back, at least in Dynasty, is that not only are we seeing running back score in bunches, these 25, 30-point games, but these guys are all 24, 25 years old at the most. You know, Ezekiel Elliott – Le'Veon Bell, and, you know, you got uh, Saquon Barkley coming in, Darius Geis, all these young running backs are so good, and they're the ones scoring the most points. It's not like there's, you know, DeMarco Murray's who are like 30, 31 years old, putting up the points. These are all young studs that, you know, yes, running backs have more of a a limited uh, window, but all these guys have, you know, four to five-year windows of, unless they have a major injury, they're all going to be putting up points for a long time. So, I'm still going to lean on wide receiver, but I do think that there is a benefit to going young running back early on in the startup.
3: I, I am too. I, I still think wide receiver, it is a passing league, and we'll see a bounce back at some point. Um, but, you know, you, you definitely got to wiggle to what's happening out there.
4: Well, and the thing the thing about – the thing that's been trendy for so many years now is to build around wide receivers, uh, whether they were younger or older – didn't matter, but your first two or three rounds were filled with wideouts. You would see out of the first 24 picks in, in the top two rounds, you'd see 18 wide receivers coming off the board. So the good thing for us who do like to build around receivers still is that a lot of those players, especially those second rounders are going to get pushed down because of this influx of running backs. So a player that you might've taken, uh, in the second round a year ago is going to be a third rounder or even a fourth rounder uh, this offseason. season. So you can still grab a running back in the first couple of rounds, which is something we might not have done uh, recently and still get those wide receivers in the third, fourth, fifth.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but I think Allen Robinson might like slide to like the early third round of the startups. And if so, that is the absolute biggest buy in all the start early startup rounds if you ask me.
4: Yep.
3: That's about his range right now. I think he was, I think his I, ADP is 25. I'm, I'm totally with on that one, especially if he ends up going to San Francisco with uh, Kyle Shanahan and uh, you look at Shanahan's re- resume, man. I mean, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones, Pierre Garcon, it doesn't matter. He's, he's talking it a time to those guys. And speaking of that, Todd Haley just, uh, it was official today. He just moved to Cleveland. Uh, I am a huge Todd Haley fan. I have him for a while. It's like where he goes big numbers. You know, when he was in Arizona, Larry Fitzgerald had his two biggest statistical seasons. And then he went to Kansas city and Dwayne bow had a 15 touchdown year there. Um, and we also saw Jamal Charles blow up. And then of course we know what happened in Pittsburgh. Now, now he's had talented players. You know, he's had one of the greatest running backs and wide receivers in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, D'Angelo Williams career resurrected at age 32 with Todd Haley calling the shots. So buying some Cleveland players and I, I can't say I've said that in the past. What, what's your gut take on this Haley move? I,
1: I've been all over the Browns since the Sashi thing along with the rest of the Team Rotoviz. Uh, unfortunately Sashi's gone but he, he left a bunch of, he left a bunch of talented players behind him with Corey Coleman, David Njoku. Um, and then all the picks that they're going to have this year. So hopefully they invest in a Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold and not Josh Allen.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I actually just finished an article, which was uh, just kind of a a different view or a different way to use ADP. But uh, I basically looked at the ADP of each team um, looking at the top value quarterback running back uh, the top two wide receivers tied in and one uh, flex spot. So just the next highest. And the Browns, you know, you might think that they were pretty far down that list, but they were in the top third. Uh Deshaun Kaiser wow. Deshaun Kaiser was not uh not valued at all. He wasn't drafted at all in our recent ADP. But um outside of that quarterback spot, uh they had Duke Johnson and Crowell, uh and of course the the receivers Gordon and <laughs> Uh, Corey Coleman, and then David Njoku, All of those guys were top 100 players. So I think there were only three, uh, three NFL teams that had five players in the top 100, and the Browns were one
3: of them. Wow! And that's before the Haley news. I, I mean, we talked about. I think you tweeted this out a poll on what happens if Barkley goes to Cleveland. You know, is he still? And with Todd Haley there, he he sure as hell is for me. Because there's a very good chance they're going to be throwing it, targeting him, you know, 100 times like they did with Le'Veon Bell.
4: Yeah, I got a, I got a lot of interesting uh, responses to that poll. It ended up, I, I think the number it ended up was 78%. Uh, still said they would take Barkley at the 1.01 if he landed in Cleveland. Um, but a lot of the responses were pointing out the success of Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. Uh, over the past couple of seasons and, and uh, talking about the Browns offensive line, which is pretty solid. Um, but all that withstanding, you know, you I don't know, you just have to, it, it almost seems like the Browns are cursed, but yeah, with, I like the Haley move. And if they do add Barkley, um, wow, that, that's a lot of talent. I, I guess my, my only point to you was, we all we all like to knock the Browns sometimes, but in Dynasty, at least a lot of their their players are not that cheap. It's it's not going to be easy to acquire those guys.
3: Right, and it's going to get even crazier if they, they sign Kirk Cousins or, um, I mean, even Alex Smith would be kind of interesting there, coming off a of career. I mean, who knew the guy could have a career year and he's going to end up on a new team next year. Yeah. So, wait, Nathan, what what's your what's your do you do you weigh that into your evaluation at all? I, I know people are, are talent percent, and and there are people like me who who value play calling more sometimes.
1: I I'm certainly more on the, the talent perspective because I think that a lot of it can be attributed to when you talk about Kyle Shanahan's this great play caller because he had Julio Jones. Julio Jones, so there, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to screw up having Julio Jones. But maybe Steve Carr, Sarkeesian did that. So I think that some of that analysis, I, I think, can, can, can be off, you know, no, no disrespect to your analysis, of course. But um, I, I do tend to, you know, go towards the, the talent. I, I think that just because I think of, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator, maybe subpar, um, like Nor, Norv Turner, for example, um, just because a lot of people don't like Norv Turner. Um, because he's, you know, done, done a little with a, a lot of talent at certain times. Uh, Josh Gordon, obviously, he had his career year with North Turner, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, he people did. are talking about, talking about the Panthers um, and with Norv Turner, that, that being a suboptimal situation with uh, – there's no creativity for McCaffrey or, or even Cam. So, I mean, I still love all pretty much all the Panthers, Funchess, uh Cam, and McCaffrey, and North Turner, who's um, – don't like as an offense coordinator. That's going to deter me. It depends on the player. But if I like the player and a, a suboptimal play caller goes there, I'm not going to really change my mind about it.
3: Are you the same, Ryan? Um, yeah, I, I guess
4: so. I mean, it's it's not the top, you know, it's not the top of my list when when considering player value. But it's um, it's something to consider, especially guys like Shanahan who who we have seen just have such a dramatic effect on. On their players when they've uh, when they've gone from team to team and I think that's really where we can see some trends is if they've had success with multiple teams, multiple levels of talent, you know like you kind of pointed out with haley then then we really see some trends and we can kind of bank on those
1: All righty, I think that'll wrap us up a lot of a lot of interesting talk here on the nice street cast with Jacob road from RotoViz. Ryan McDowell from Roto World and PLF. Um, do you guys have anything to plug before we head out?
4: No, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to extend the show by 15
3: minutes or anything. I, I'm good too. So please, somebody plug something. I, I got nothing.
1: All right. Well, make sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to the Johnny Cast and on Rotoviz Radio where there's so much great content on Rotoviz Radio. So many great guests that come on throughout the offseason. Make sure you're subscribed to the to our channel, to the Rotoviz Radio channel. Uh, r- rate and review. I'm sure there's plenty of contests that'll be happening on, on both on both sides of that uh, throughout the off season. So have some fun with that as well. So um, thanks so much for listening, guys. And hopefully I have my co-host back next week because you guys were great, but uh, I, I miss my my boys. <laughs>
4: <laughs> thanks for having me, Nathan.
3: Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much. Jeff. It was a lot of fun.
2: Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CagreatAmerica.com.